Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. In this podcast, we chat about the win against Sunderland and review Bora's transfer window. This is the Bora Breakdown podcast, and this is our Bora Match Day chatter in a pod. Want support? Curtis Fleming is there on the edge of the air. Fleming for What's Craig it? Hignett. Hit it, Higgy. Higgy hits the track. Avanelli coming alive again. Janino wants the ball played to him. Avanelli spots out. And welcome to the Bora Breakdown podcast with Johnny, Dana, and Tom. We are the Bora podcast that gives you all of your Bora match day chatter in a podcast. Tease, we are delight for Bora on Monday night with a 1 0 win over Sunderland. A goal from Riley McGree in the 25th minute was enough to see off the Black Cats and move Bora up to 17th in the championship table. Guys, as always, I want to know how you're feeling, especially after the win against Sunderland. And you can do so in as many words as you want. Dana, do you want to go first? Yeah, I'm absolutely buzzing. But, uh, you know, I'm going to focus on three words in particular. I'm going to uh, angle it a little bit differently, this podcast. I'm going to say delighted for Dale because Dale Fry has had a, a very insecure start to the season. I think his place has not been his place. But he stepped up to the plate in Daryl Lenahan's absence against Sunderland. And Chris Wilder spoke a lot about Dill Fry allowing the centre-forward to dictate the game to him. He did last season against Barnsley. Carl Morris did it, and he mentioned it earlier on this season as well. There was none of that against Ellis Sims, who was a very dangerous player to play against as well. Very physical, also very quick um, off the mark as well. But he was fantastic. I can't remember the amount of times that I said well done Fry in that second half against Sunderland he was brilliant and I'm I'm delighted for him because yeah he's had a bit of a shaky start to the season and that was a um yeah just a very good very very good performance from Fry and hopefully that's him confident now and, and ready to go for the next game so praise for Fry uh Tom what are you gonna go for I'm I'm just buzzing with it. I mean, as much as you know, Sunderland fans try to make out it's not a derby and stuff like that. I'd have been gutted if we lost to them. I, I think that match, the first half, was the longest forty-five minutes I've ever ever watched. I think. I mean, obviously we we got the goal and it was at least twenty-five or something like that, and then it, it felt like another hour went by until halftime. Um, <laughs> Just because it was so kind of like end to end, I was like, I just really don't want them to equalise here. But uh, yeah, delighted we uh, came with the three points. Um, and 
even more delighted that we kept the clean sheet, to be honest. Um, I think it felt like we needed that um, at this stage of the season. Um, you know, it, it didn't look likely uh, after like some of our performances in, uh, in, in recent games. So just re- really happy to see us keep the clean sheet. Okay then, uh, and, for, and for me, I'm just going to go uh, a good result. You know, I think it was a, a game of, of, of two halves in terms of performance-wise. I think, you know, in, in that first half, I thought we were much more in control of the game. And the second half, for me, Sunderland dominated. But for me, it wasn't just a case of they dominated with the ball, but they didn't do too much with it. Um, and Borough were quite safe in, in that front. But I think for me, uh, the, the nerves were there because with Borough's form... As of late, um, in terms of defence, it always brings the nerves back and you go, oh, God, we could concede at any moment. Uh, and we'll shoot ourselves in the foot because we are our biggest enemies at this moment in time. So, but yeah, um, a big result, a really, really big result for us. And uh, hopefully we can we can move up the table now and get a result against Blackpool as well. But let's chat about the game then because Tony Mowbray's Sunderland, yes, I know Tony Mowbray's Sunderland, it, it doesn't sound right, I know. Um, he came to town uh, with them and, you know, Ross Stewart got injured in the warm-up as well, which was a big, big loss for them. Uh, but Chris Wilder made one change to the side that lost against Watford uh, with Dale Fry coming in for Daryl Lenahan, who is out injured. Tom, Dana's already alluded to it, um, but how do you think Dale Fry did on Monday night? I thought he did really well. I think he deserves a lot of credit for it as well. Uh, as Dana mentioned, his uh, start of the season has been a little bit insecure. And, and I think for me, to come in cold, really, having not played, got subbed off twice a, a 45 minutes, it could affect a, a player's confidence, but he didn't look mm. like that phased him at all. Um, obviously, he, uh, he he only had Alice Sims to, to deal with. Uh, I, I say only, but that's, you know... Um, Excluding Ross um, Ross Stewart from from the mix as well, but you know Sims looked really good, looked really strong, uh, quite quick as well. But we know what Fry can do. You know Kane and Ronaldo are still in his back pocket from last season, and I think it's only <laughs> only Lukaku we really uh, really struggled against. Um, and you know Sims did put up a, a proper physical battle, and I think Fry did really well. I, I would say one, you know. Probably around three quarter of the uh, the headers against him, and you know, kept him kept him quiet really, which was fantastic to see. I think it was exactly what we needed. Um, and yeah, I, I think it's uh, it, it just kind of he warrants a place in the team for for Blackpool off that. I think. Okay, so you think he warrants a place in in, in the eleven? But Dana, do you think that? Although it's one game, would you prefer to see Fry in for Lenahan, Lenahan for Fry, or have both in Borough's defence in, in the future? It's very orky corky, isn't it? Um you know what I'd say Fry. I would say I would say Fry for me. I've said it before, I think he's our best defender. Lenahan I'm definitely warming to, but I mean he's I think he had a protective boot on the last time I saw that it was on his partner's Instagram story so it seems like it's quite a significant injury and I mean I don't think we know much about it to be honest but I would probably put Fry in there anyway because as I've said I'll reiterate it I feel like I broke a record I feel like he is our best defender and he's just needed a little bit of confidence and that was the game that I think it brought the proper Dale Fry out that, that we saw last season so I would say Fry in the middle but then who plays on the right because for me, it's between McNair and Dykesdale rather than 
Dyke Steel Fry, uh, Dyke Steel McNair and Lenahan. So it's an interesting one, but we've got options, Dawn, and that's a good thing. <laughs> um, yeah, I think for me on that right centre back role, Dyke Steel wins it for me. Um, I thought he made he made McNair look poor um, in that right centre back position on, on Monday night for me, and. You know, I think he has a lot of quality there, Dyke Steel. And I know I really want to see him in set in defensive midfield. And I'm desperate to see it. I one point in his board career for him to play there. But yeah, for me, I think he, he's that right centre back uh, position. For Fry and Lenahan, I think it's good to have that competition there for Fry. Fry needs a rocket in terms in terms of getting like performances out of him because you know if if someone's constantly got his position yes he's not playing much but he has to have that desire and trying to get himself back in that position and really prove his worth and i think that hopefully has helped him do that and help kick on uh, once again but we'll soon see uh, what chris wilder thinks but in terms of like another position that we 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 spoke about what we spoke a lot of um, in this summer it was a goalkeeper position lumley well, underperformed, to say the least, uh, last year. Minus 1.4 uh, prevented goals, a save rate of 69%. Um, you know, and hilariously, they're in the top six, I think, at the moment, Redden. Uh, so um, in terms of everything else, so we brought in Stefan and, and Roberts, but after the last couple of games, Roberts has staked the claim, to say the least. Um, do you think he's going to probably pip Stefan to the post now, Tom? I, I don't know, to be honest, because um, I feel like because Stefan's such a high-profile sign and he's, you know, he's came from City, he's, it's a World Cup year. I just, I, I'm obviously we wouldn't know, but he could have like a clause in his contract where he plays if fit, which is the worry for me because I think Roberts has has done extremely well in the the games where he has been called upon. Um, you know, we've seen success stories of, of goalkeepers coming up from from lower leagues and, you know, making it in the championship. And I, I feel like Roberts could be one of them. I don't want to kind of put too much pressure on him straight away, but he does look a lot more um, assured than we've maybe been used to, um, especially over the last season. Um, but, you know, there, there were quite a lot of occasions on, the, on Monday night where, you know, a cross had come in and... You know, under Lumley last season, we've been terrified that someone's either getting the red on it or it's just gone straight past him and in. But, you know, Roberts was really authoritative in coming out and claiming them. Uh, you know, loved a punch by the end of the game as well. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, I, I just think he didn't look out of place at all. So, you know, if, if it is uh, a battle between the two of them and if there's nothing stopping him playing... Uh, in in the next few games, I don't see why he, you know, potentially should be dropped. You know, he's definitely in the conversation to to keep that uh, that place in the team. Dana, yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I I do agree with Tom. I feel like there will be some sort of clause in the in the loan deal with Stefan that enables him, or basically says the boy, you have to play him if he's fit. But for me, I do feel like what I've seen of Robert so far, I trust him over Stefan. And I think Stefan's vulnerable from corners and deliveries into the box. We've seen that, but Robert's just felt safer to me. I, I didn't feel like I was at a nervous disposition watching him when he was called into action. And then I said on BBC Tees after the game, I feel like that's the biggest compliment that you could give a goalkeeper. And 
I, I have been impressed with him so far over Stefan, and I don't feel like Stefan's name should propel him into the first team over a goalkeeper that's performing better than him. So we'll see when Stefan's back. It's again competition. It's it breeds a, a high level of performance, which is only good for Borough. Yeah, it really is, you know, and the the say a good goalkeeper can save you about ten points a season on average. And for me, he looked really solid. Um you could build a house on him as I as I did uh, as I tweeted. Um as I in, did. As, <laughs> as, as I did as I, as I as I did build uh you know a detached house on, on Lee Roberts. Um but he, he looked he looked really good, you know. I think there's just uh there's just a calming essence to him. And uh, it, it looks like, for me, Borough have got a good goalkeeper on the hands. You don't be a League Two goalkeeper of the season uh, if you're not good. And he he's really impressed, not just me, but I think he impressed a lot of fans on Monday night. And yes, he hasn't had a lot to do in terms of saves over the last few games, but it doesn't matter. Dimmy didn't have a lot of saves back in the day, um, but he was a calming influencer at the, at the back. And I think for me, he has the right to probably play that next game in net. But we'll we'll soon see as the as the season goes on. You know, the goalkeeping position is always under scrutiny, and one mistake uh, and everyone forgets how good you are. So we'll we'll soon see on that front. But let's speak about the game a little bit more because I want us to dissect the performance of not just Borough but Sunderland as well. And then, like overall assessment wise. How would you assess performance? Because I know we've kind of alluded to it at the start, tail of, of two halves pretty much for most of the game, but how would you assess things? Well, I enjoyed the first half. I thought we were bang up for it. Our press was really good. The positioning of our players in that press was good because it was restricting them on the build-out from the back. And it was particularly when Corey Evans and Daniel got on the ball. I noticed a lot of their passes were quite risky playing across the face of, of midfield. And quite a few times you saw Rodrigo Muniz get a little bit of a toe end on it, but unfortunately not enough to, to fully intercept it. And I just thought, we, I mean, we were good value for the goal. And then something that disappointed me that I actually noticed in the Swansea game as well, we sat back about five minutes after we scored, we just seemed to get deeper and deeper and invite pressure. And thankfully for all uh, Sunderland's decent play in the build-up, they didn't have that final ball. I mean, Jack Clark was passing to the ball boys nine times out of 10. And I feel like that's something to keep an eye on. I don't know why we keep sitting back. Usually I'd attribute it to you know a, a me and Minnow coming up against the Premier League side in the FA Cup and they go one nil up and then they, they simply have to sit back because they don't have the quality to match but you know in games we should have the upper hand in terms of quality so I'm not sure why we keep sitting back maybe it's an energy thing but then again 30 minutes into the game surely we're not flagging there but something to keep an eye on for sure uh, second half I think we had to dig in and we had to show our game management there was a bit of naivety in the Watford game in that regard, but you know we were take the ball in the corner. Anthony Dykesteel was going down at the touch of a fairy and winding the Sunderland fans up, giving them a, a nice smile in all their fury, which was fantastic. And I think we have to do that sometimes. Obviously, it'd be good for us to win 4-5-0, but it doesn't happen a lot of the time. And I think we have to really dig our heels in and, and, and get the get the win however we can do that. If that means take the ball in the corner, then so be it. And yeah, it was good to see the game out. Liam Roberts was loving it at the end when the full-time whistle went, because I think obviously celebrating the win and the clean sheet, which is really important, the first of the season. And hopefully that gives us the confidence now, the springboard to to add to the, the win that we've got. 
Yeah, I think just on just before we want the clean sheet, I think on on the press on, on the while we sit back, I think it's to do with more of our forwards really. I think when you're a high pressing team, you can kind of move your your back line up, but when you have like someone who's very like immobile, um, you tend you you tend to sit back and, and be a bit deeper. Um, and I think it comes from that forward line press and see how we actually how we play our games. And I think after that 30 minutes or in periods of games, we do tire because our, our press at times is very aggressive in, in key moments. And I think sometimes when Moonis gets tired, that's when we start to see teams get more into the game, become more influential. Um, and I think that's why I thought Duncan, uh, I think it's why Chris Wilder brought on Duncan Watmore, but I also thought it was a really good sub because it pushed someone back a little bit more and it started to help us alleviate the pressure um, from constantly defending all the time. Um, but we'll, I, I think that's something that we should probably look at over like the next few weeks and see how Borough have probably changed pressing styles this season. But Tom, clean sheet, how important was it? And how important was it to get a result as well? I thought it was really important to get that first uh, first clean sheet of the season. Uh, it's going to give us confidence that we can go into other games now and not concede. Because some of the goals that we have conceded this season have been a bit daft. Like We, we could have kept so many more clean sheets and got more wins than we had done. Um, you know, Swansea game, prime example. Uh, I, I, I thought we never looked like conceding in that game, but it's it's all uh, all to help with confidence, and I, I think that uh, that'll definitely help us in the uh, the upcoming games, and and just the the win as well. You know, if if we want to kind of look at a very optimistic view, we've won what, two out of the last three now, so you know, it's <laughs> it's it's building. Um, so. <laughs> Optimistic uh, Tom, back at it again. Yeah. <laughs> back, back Tom, um, he was getting battered 3-0 away at Blackpool now. But... <laughs> That's my job to curse us, Tom. The, the green curse, the official curse. <laughs> um, I was going to say, I think Borough's result, was it Was it hint, Was it it helped a little bit, Tom, with with the, the loss of Stuart for Sunderland because they had a lot of possession but just didn't create too much and he tends to give them that bit of that focal point up front. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd assume so. Um, Ross Stewart is uh, obviously a, a vital player for them. Um, you know, I, I think before before the match, I was I was outside selling flight to the moon. I, I knew he was starting. Then um, I think it was about fifteen minutes before I went into the stadium. My mate Scotty had texted us, and he was like, "Oh, um, Ross Stewart's not starting for him anymore." I was like, "Yeah, hey, what's happened? Here? Is it an injury in the warm up?" And yeah, just I, I think I might have missed a sale because I was scrolling through Twitter on my phone trying to find out what had happened. But um, yeah, obviously, Morebird said afterwards um, that they'd swap him out for Patrick Roberts and, and change the style of play. And I do think that really helped with with Fry only having LS Sims to, uh, to kind of really focus on there. I think if there was two of them, it would have been a, a different style of play. And, you know, maybe we would have had to kind of bring uh, McNair and Clark into it a little bit more to cope with them. But as it was, uh, you know, with Roberts and Clark and, and Clark, you know, misplacing nine and a half out of ten of his passes, it was, uh, you know, it, it was fairly... I don't want to say fairly comfortable, but it, it worked in our favour, I think. Okay. With 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 all, with all of that in mind, then I think we've obviously they, they did have a lot of possession, you know, they had to change system, they got more into the game. We've said that like the the result was really important and a clean sheet is again just as important. But in terms of performance wise, we've all alluded to this like 
this theme that's been that's been tracking all like the last few games, and it seems that Borough becoming are becoming like a one half team where they play really well in that in the first half or a second half, but in the other half of it, we seem to just be a bit flat. We lose tempo. I think QPR is a, a fine example of that. You know, Sunderland was a good example, and probably West Brom. You know, where we we started off really really well and we let West Brom come into the game. What do you think? What do you think Borough have to do to become more consistent again there? Nothing. Honestly, I think the worst thing that we can do is change it. Because you think about Borough's start to the season, I think one of the words to describe it would be unsettled. We have a, a very different team. You know, we've got a new goalkeeper, two of our backline, fairly new Lenahan and, and, well, our new Lenahan and, and Clark, new left wing back, new strikers, new midfielder and Alex Moore. Riley McGree wasn't at the start of last season. It just needs time to gel. And I feel like time is probably the best remedy for this I would say just hopefully Chris Wilder can find and land on his best 11 and then hopefully we can see the consistency go from there because it has been very chop and change at the moment obviously we've picked up a few injuries that are quite annoying Stefan um, Lenahan Fry was ill McNair yeah uh, Johnny Howson went off against Watford there's just at Pom as well, of course. There's just a lot of injuries that we keep picking up. If we can find a settled team, I feel like the consistency will start to find itself and that we'll start to see a, a two-half borough rather than a one-half borough. But this was a problem last season as well, a very Jekyll and Hyde. I feel like Chris Wilder did sort it out to a certain degree and it's come back again. But yeah, I, I think the worst thing that we could do is 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 uproot things. I think that would probably be the worst, the worst thing to do uh, in regards to that for me. Okay, then. Tom, is there anything else that you want to add on that before we move on to the, the breakdown of the goal? No, I mean, I just hope Dane is right with that and uh, that it needs time to gel. I, I kind of lean that way myself in, in thinking, but I, I think, as Dana mentioned there, it was a problem last season. I, I f- think we were even talking about this under Warnock. Uh, it, it was very kind well, of yeah. first half, second half uh, performance. So, yeah, I, I'd hope it is just kind of uh, needing time to gel. Um, but hopefully you know even if it's not that hopefully Wilder and the coaching staff can work on it in some respect um but you know hopefully when everything clicks for for this team then uh we might see the end of that okay then well let's break down this goal uh because another assist for Ryan Giles the left foot that has came from Hogwarts um Dana, <laughs> is there anything that you you, you found as, as of interest in in this goal Yes, I did. I mean, it's you talk, you talk there about Ryan Charles. It's fantastic delivery from him. But I just want to highlight the build-up play as well. Corey Evans, before Borough even start the attack, plays a really poor first-time ball, which Alex Moore pounces on. And then we recycle possession. We circulate it from... It's actually from right to left. Usually last season, we saw it uh, left to right because of Giles's influence on that right-hand side. But now, of course, you mentioned Giles there. We have him. He's such a threat from open play and from set pieces that you have to allow him to have possession of the ball. And if you look at when 
the ball is played from Clark to Giles. You can see the 0-9 retreats a few yards, which basically allows space for Riley McGree to take the touch. I feel like Luke 9 in that moment where he does retreat back from the defensive line, I feel like he's expecting that ball from Giles to be played in that corridor of uncertainty between the back line and the goalkeeper. So effectively being played behind him. But what happens is, of course, you see the delivery from Giles. It's played in front of Luke 9 and in that space, just on the edge of the 18-yard box where Riley McGree's made, I wouldn't even say a run, it's just a gentle jog uh, past uh, Dan Neal is. <clears throat> so what happens after that is that Luke 9 suddenly shifts his body position, but he can't really recover that because it's so right heavy that he can't get back to a, a centralised body way to be able to intercept that ball uh, obviously he does get a touch on the ball when Riley McGree has a shot but I just feel like Luke nine there feels like he anticipates the ball from Ryan Giles to be played in a different area to what it actually is and by the way that touch from Riley McGree is beautiful I feel like it's gone under the radar a lot but the ball from Giles actually bounces up right at the last minute and that silky touch of, of Riley McGreeves was always going to come in handy one day and it did there because he just takes, he basically takes two players out of the game in Danny Barr and, and Luke Onine. Of course, I mentioned it there. He does get a touch on it, Luke Onine, but it's Riley McGree that gets the the final touch crucially. But I really like that goal. I think the the aggressive play there from Alex Moore to pounce and seize on that opportunity. It's not necessarily so much a counter-attack. It's not an incisive counter-attack. It's just Borough getting the ball back, recycling it, working it from one flank to the other, and then just letting Ryan Giles do his thing. That ball is absolutely brilliant from Ryan Giles to pick it, to pick out Riley McGree there. Exactly. Um, just brilliant. I mean... I've run out of words to describe Brian Giles. I can't believe that he's in the championship. I can't believe Wolves haven't decided to take him on in their first team because that left foot is something special. Yeah, you, the, the theme. I think the theme song for Ryan Giles is, isn't uh, isn't he isn't she lovely really by uh, from yeah. from uh, some Stevie Wonder. But isn't he lovely? Because you know, <laughs> you know. Um, on board that. We need to yeah. we need to make that into a song. What just like to, like edit something together with like love hearts next vision. to Ryan Giles, yeah. <laughs> Ryan Giles Islands, or like with him outside of Hogwarts or something. He's just magic. Um, <laughs> but no, he look, he's brilliant, isn't he? He really is good. Uh, that left meant my foot of it. Uh, yeah, exactly, Tom. He's a, he's the best left winger, left winger from. Um, <laughs> and to be honest, like it's just ah, oh, it's just the the ball in is just. Oh, it's wonderful! That, that that entire goal is quality, and I think we'll we'll see hopefully more of that in the, in the coming weeks. But Tom, I'm gonna be and well, I'm gonna be and play devil uh, and say, do you think you should have scored more, Riley McGree? I think you should have got one more. Yeah, um, looking back on on the chance, it was a lovely bit of play between him and Matt Crooks. Uh, yeah. Crooks pretty much backheeled it into into his path and. He just hit it a little bit too close to to the keeper. If he'd have if he'd have got that a little bit further out towards the uh, the far post, or you know, actually put his laces through it and got it off the ground, I think that was uh, such a good opportunity to score. But you know, I, I can't remember from the top of my head. But I think he actually had a little bit more time than he maybe thought as well. So he, he could have even took a touch there and placed it, but. Yeah, it, it could have been a very different game if he got that one. I think that was just towards the end of the second half. 
uh, and then uh, no first half, and then you go into the second half two uh, 0 up. But at that point, you know, a lot more comfortable, completely different game, and you know, they probably fancied it was going to snatch a third at that point because Sunderland would have had to overcommit chasing the game. One final thing on on Marlon McGurry then, because we we see him score a goal. He ran over to to the Sunderland fans, and uh, we've seen a lovely jump over his head from uh, from from Rodrigo Muniz, which was also a delight. Um, NBA like that. What, what, <laughs> Human yeah, hurdle. Well, <laughs> how high can uh, Rodrigo Muniz like hop over someone? Like we should we should at least try this out. Um, uh, but in, in terms of, of Riley McGree, then we put a tweet out and said, Does he deserve to be on Shithouse Islands? Uh, so, guys, six, well, 66% said he did, uh, but I want to hear your thoughts as well. Uh, Tom, does he deserve to be on the island? Yeah, sure, why not? I mean, I, I love that. Just run straight over the Sunderland <laughs> fans and doing that. Um, yeah, absolutely top quality shit. That was a resource. Buying okay. tickets. Dana? Yeah, I would say so as well. I mean, it's it's the kind of shrug that he does as well, which is just fantastic. Um, yeah, he, he always had shithouse island potential, Riley McGree, so I'm absolutely delighted that he's in the conversation now. Okay, well, it doesn't matter what I think um, because everyone else is saying yes. So, Riley McGree, you are in shithouse island. Shithouse island drinks are free. Burning sunshine, there's enough for everyone. All that's missing is the sea. But don't worry, you're a shit house. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Who would have thought George Michael and Bam would would make a song about shit house Islander? Um, <laughs> Tom, uh, Dana and Tom, uh, Paddy McNair going off injured. 
nothing confirmed from the club so far in terms of the injury, but how would you assess the situation with Paddy and Dykesdale? Um, who fits the role better? Tom, do you want to quickly say yes or no? Who fit- yes. Yes or no, yes or no to Paddy <laughs> or Dykesdale? <laughs> Um, no, per- personally, I prefer Dykesdale. Um, I, I think it's something I, uh, said at the I start absolutely butchered that, didn't I? As well, I knew that. Pre season, um, I prefer Dykesdale in that role personally, but from what Wilder was saying in the uh, the interviews and stuff pre season, I fully expected Paddy McNair to be playing there. Um, I thought Dysel did incredibly well when he came on, and you know, like I say, I, I'd prefer to see him there. But uh, I, I feel like if McNair's fit, he'll probably go back there. Duh. No, <laughs> no, Duh. I think it depends on what play you're looking for game to game. Really, I think because if you're looking for somebody that can break the lines through passing, probably offer a little bit more aerially then Paddy McNair's your man. But if you want somebody that can you know, dribble out of defence and also combine a little bit better in those right-hand channels, then I think Dyke still. But I don't think there's a lot between them, to be honest. And I actually think that position should be celebrated a lot more than it is because we've got two very, very good options there in Dyke still and McNair. And I don't mind who plays, really. Um, but my loyalties do lie with my favourite player, and that is Anthony Dyke still. So I do have to say Anthony Dyke still. Okay, well... No, yes, I don't really know who's going to play there. Um, but let's let's move on then um, and discuss the transfer window because on last Thursday, the transfer window slammed shut. 10 incomings, 13 outgoings, 17 if you want to count expired loans. Uh, but before we get to our thoughts, we spoke to Craig Johns from the Gazette to get an understanding of Borough's strategy this summer. So we've reached the end of what has been a long, tiring, difficult and exhausting summer transfer window for Middlesbrough. It was a big squad overhaul. Chris Wilder felt like he needed that overhaul to almost reset the squad and, and, and get it looking more like he wanted to look. He, he noted towards the end of last season, didn't he? He had that you know recruitment checklist that he had and you know he, he wanted to see many of those boxes being ticked that he sees as the whole hallmarks of a, a successful team it's been such an interesting window I think you know you only need to look around the championship to see not a lot of money being spent I think there was a great stat where I think was it 40 million spent in the championship roughly and you know 20 million of that was from the teams in receipt of parachute payments and of the rest of the money spent throughout the division Borough spent 20% of that so not a lot of money floating about in the championship obviously the last couple of years with COVID etc really taking its toll and and even beyond that I think you know it started to move eventually but Chris Wilder spoke a lot about how difficult the market was and how the Premier League dictates a lot of what happens because when they assign players you get that domino effect of of players then filtering down the divisions and, and, and we didn't see an awful lot of that until much later in the window. It it was an interesting summer in terms of the strategy at Middlesbrough. You know, there's no doubt in that it was another interesting balancing act. Chris Wilder is is more in tune with the with the strategy now uh, at Middlesbrough in terms of the type of signings that the club want to make, but he's also a very ambitious manager. I think we've all seen that in his, his time at the club, and and part of that ambition is is wanting that short term success, 
while appreciating the long-term vision of the club and, and that's why it was such a big overhaul and, and ideally you wouldn't say that many signings made uh, within one transfer window because it makes it incredibly difficult but there was that need to kind of strengthen for immediate impact while also making the kind of development signings that we saw with the likes of Matthew Hoppy, Marcus Force, etc. So a very interesting balancing act going on there that Berra had to, had to manage. You just can't ignore that the club, despite bringing in the Jed Spence money and the Marcus Tavernier money, the club have lost 75 plus million over the last three seasons. And obviously the new long-term vision is to become more sustainable. You know, that ultimately means that if you recoup that money that they did from from selling Spence and Tav, that doesn't wholly get reinvested into into signings because a lot of that money needs to go to just helping the club run day to day. Essentially, they played a patient approach during the window. They they did feel like better players would become available towards the end of the window. We saw that with Rodrigo Muniz. I think he's looked very impressive so far since coming in to get him. They ultimately had to wait until Fulham were willing to let him come out. Matt Clark is another one. They were also trying for Jacob Greaves. We know that in that position. But, you know, two players there who ultimately, you know, they had to play the long game with Hull until Greaves eventually signed a new contract. And, and similarly with Brighton, they were uncertain what they were going to do with Matt Clark and wanted to assess him over the summer and I think certainly you know since those two players have come in I think we've definitely seen Barra look more you know more rounded more balanced particularly with Clark as the left-footed defender I think that's really helped Barra and obviously losing Akpom to injury Muniz's presence in the last couple of games has certainly been telling you know within that a little frustration that they didn't manage to do more quicker but for good reason, because they felt that better quality players would become available. I think they got that right with Strand Larson as well, though ultimately it still proved that the deal was too much for them to do until the Vigo came in, provided a bigger pull for him than Burra. But we're ultimately right in that FC Groningen would slightly lower the valuation and let him go in the end. They were right in that. And I've never had this firmed up, but I do feel like one of the other strikers that they were potentially believing would become available towards the end of the window would be Adam Armstrong. There was a lot of talk of him potentially going out on loan, but actually started the season quite well at Southampton, has played plenty of games and uh, and obviously you know not available, didn't move on loan. So that's, an, that's one where you know they felt a patient approach might have benefited them because I think everyone would appreciate that if Burr would have managed to bring in Adam Armstrong, that would have been a superb signing, but but wasn't a big by no means a perfect window. We all we can all say that they've they've ended the window short in, in certainly one position in midfield. You know, ultimately they've done a lot of positive work and, and, and strengthened a lot of the positions. I think the stronger in goal than last season. I think the stronger up front than last season. I think the players that they've brought in up front, if it might be a bit of a longer term thing, I think overall Moon is Fours and Hoppy would fill me with more confidence than the three strikers that left at the end of last season. And defensively, while it hasn't been the best of starts to the season, I think 
once things start to settle, I think Daryl Linehan's a really, really positive capture on a free transfer and has looked good so far. I think Matt Clark, once he builds his sharpness, he adds that balance as well that Wilder wants. I think he'll be a solid acquisition. And so I think we've strengthened there. And I think the obvious one, of course, is bringing Ryan Giles in at left wing back. I know he's only on loan. But, you know, we could all say last season the imbalance of how good Isaiah Jones was on the right, but how that wasn't complemented with anything on the left. And, you know, that's completely changed now this season with the introduction of of Ryan Giles. So really positive work there. In terms of deadline, Dean, what really happened there was disappointing. We knew, you know, they wanted at least one. Wilder said he could have done with three on deadline day and they ended up with none. I think, you know, there was a touch of, of bad luck really there for Middlesbrough. I think it's well known now that, you know, there was a deal done there with, with Brentford to bring in Frank Onyeka on loan. He would have been that kind of competitive midfielder that they need in there to, to kind of challenge Johnny House. And by all accounts from people, I know uh, at Brentford, he's a very, very good player as well so yeah that was that was all done he was coming on on loan and then Christian Norgard gets gets the injury and, and ultimately Brentford decide late on that they're going to have to pull the plug on that deal and you know there's very little you can do on that unfortunately that's just bad luck and who knows um, Norgard if his injury isn't too bad could return before the January transfer window and that could be you know potentially want uh, to look at again in, in January I do know that the were working hard I think probably more beneficial to just be open with the fact that you know even as the day went on I, I just sent Chris Wilder a message just to, to ask where things were it was probably about seven eight o'clock on the night deadline of course at 11 it was a very fast response of still working mate that was all I got back but it was so quick because he was clearly on his phone and and, and you know speaking to, to people since then Chris Wilder, Neil Bowser and Kieran Scott were all at Rockcliffe until beyond the 11pm deadline because they were all working hard to get something done to try for anything but Chris Wilder said they, they, they tried a few things, they, they explored a few avenues on the deer, but nothing really came off for them as he said it and what what is close but certainly in terms of getting anyone up to Teesside that that never was a thing on, on, on deadline deer, that wasn't something they managed, the only real link on the deer other than on Yeka who we were always waiting on was Fulham midfielder Josh Onimer and while it was kind of more looking likely that he would go to West Brom if anywhere, he ultimately didn't go anywhere either. So, um, yeah, a really quiet deer. Not really the ideal deer that Burrow wanted, but so be it. It's left them needing to look at free agents now, which is something they are exploring. But, yeah, I don't think that one disappointing deer and that slight disappointment of not getting a midfielder in should take away from the fact that they also did all that positive work before that to bring in 10, 10 players this summer, six permanent, which is uh, really positive. I don't think that should be forgotten and shouldn't be understated just how positive and how difficult that was to do this summer. Credit to Borough for that. I think they do deserve that. Yeah, I think ultimately they have made progress within the squad. I think it, to me, looks a stronger and better balanced squad to to go and have a, a decent season. It's it's not been a good start, but with a bit of settling and a bit of positive momentum, hopefully to be gained from that victory over Sunderland, I think we can start to see Borough's season really kick on now. 
Thank you for that, Craig. Now, guys, I want to hear your opinions and assessments. Uh, Tom, how would you assess the win of Uh About eight, eight out of ten for me. Um, I think it was it was a really strong window. I think compared to, to last season, we've addressed a lot of a lot of key areas that we needed to to bring in strength in. And I think the the signings of like Lenahan, Giles, Stefan, Moet. It, Matt Clark, it, it's really addressed these areas well. Um, the the part I wasn't too keen on was selling Tav. I do think that made us weaker. And although you know Moet is a, a good player, and I, I think he's starting to hit his stride a little bit now, he definitely looked a bit more kind of creative um, against Sunderland than than he had been in his first couple of matches. He's he's not kind of a like for like replacement for Tav, um, so that that was the only bit I, I wasn't kind of uh, keen on in terms of outgoings. Uh, and then we did we were a little bit short at the end of the window. Um, I appreciate we're trying to address uh, one position in the free agent market. It looks like, um, but you know I, I think our transfer strategy this season has been much better than it has been. Uh, in, in previous seasons, so um, yeah, eight out of ten for me. Eight out of ten, Dana. Yeah, I think it's been good. I'd probably say <laughs> maybe this is a bit harsh, but six point eight to be precise. I, I I don't feel like people should get bogged down on deadline day because I know the grand occasion of it kind of makes it its own transfer window. That it, it almost <clears throat> I don't know. It, it's different to what precedes it, but. Bora have, in the grand scheme of the transfer window, made some really good signings. The left-hand side's been strengthened immensely with the signings of, of Ryan Giles and Matt Clark, as Tom's alluded to. And we have brought in some good value players like Daryl Lenahan on a free transfer. Hopefully the strikers can end up being much better value than they are or that we brought them in for in maybe 18 months' time or so. So, yeah, I think it's it's been good. The reason why I've put it as a 6.8 is just because of the, the massive red flags in midfield. It's, um, you know, if we do play with the, the 3-4-1-1, you've got number 10 there that doesn't have any depth beyond McGree. You've got Crooks's position, he picks up yellow cards like they're going out of fashion. That's going to be a problem. And then Housen's position, obviously, the, the, there's pretty much all of our midfield bar the left doesn't have any depth. And and that's why I can't bump it up to a seven because I just feel like there's there's a, a big concern in the middle of the uh, middle of the park. Did you say three four one one there? Was yeah, I was, three, thinking, I was gonna say three five one one, you mean? Three uh, five one one, yeah. <laughs> three four one one, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I was like, wait, I was like, can't remember. <laughs> um, well, obviously, with that, Dana, with the, with the red flags that you mentioned, obviously, depth is 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 massive, um, a massive, massive problem for Borough. Housen's the only set defensive midfielder we've got at the club. Can we rely on him to get us through to January? And also, if not, is there a free agent out there that can come and help? Well, there's a free agent that Bora seems to be quite keen on, and that's Massimo Luongo, who uh, was at the game the other day because I saw him and he was a mint man, but genuinely <laughs> he was there at the game. Um, and it seems as though he's on trial with us. He was training with Reading, I think Birmingham were keen as well, but he seems to be the one that Bora are taking quite an interest in. Whether or not we can rely on Housen, I feel like we can until January. I know obviously he went off against um, Watford with a hip problem, but Housen nine times out of 10 is reliable. It's just that I'm sure it was Chris Wilder himself that said that he can't play week in, week out. 
um, or Saturday, Tuesday, week in, week out. But, I, you know, he did it for the majority of last season. I don't see why he can't do it until January. Um, but it is a problem. It's a problem in his position. And it's I, I think it's actually Crooks's position that I'm probably most worried about because Crooks does pick up a lot of yellow cards. You know, last season he got, what was it? A two, was it a two-match ban for accumulating 10 yellow cards or whatever it was? He, he, he does pick up a lot of bookings. So, and he already has a few this season. So that's probably the main concern in midfield. But I feel like Johnny Housen, you could probably rely on him to get through to January. Whether or not we'll sign Luongo, it remains to be seen. But obviously he's a player that we're keen on. Yeah, speaking of Matt Crooks, sponsored by Clinton's cards, um, he's <laughs> our only right centre mid. I'll see McNair can play there, of course. Uh, but do you think, Tom, do you think it's more confusing that we've let Pierre go now since we don't actually have any cover for it? I wasn't a fan of the order in which we did it in the first place. Um, it seemed to me during the window we were waiting on a lot of teams to bring in replacements before we were able to sign anyone. Um, but we were very quick to kind of let Piero go without a replacement. We let Tav go and replaced him only, what, two or three weeks later. Um, and, and that was like bang on the uh, the eve of the season as well. Um, I think based on what Wilder has said about Piero, obviously we were at that um, uh, night with with Wilder like a month ago where he, he kind of briefly spoke about it and that has been kind of... Um... Sorry, a night with Wilder. Just to... <laughs> I, was la- I was internally laughing at that also. <laughs> um... Yeah, you did. I bet you said a night with Wilder, did you? <laughs> uh, I lost where I was now. <laughs> you he, he briefly spoke about it there, <laughs> and then there's been <laughs> been you know things going around you know after that you know it's been said on Wombor and a few other places that you know you know Piero's homesick and and stuff like that. So it was probably in Piero's best interest to let him go back to Argentina and and you know play football for arguably the the biggest club in in Argentina. So um, you know fair enough. Uh, for letting him go it's just like i say the order in which we did it i wasn't too thrilled with to be honest (laughs) here is a yes or no question uh can you can you see piero being in a boris shirt again dana no to be honest Uh, i mean at at that q a wilder was quite open about piero and basically saying that you know, it's it's a possibility that he could come back and, and could get into the team, but I just don't see it, you know, especially because we've sent him on loan to a team in Argentina, which is where we bought him from. It, I just can't really see him after that being accustomed to English football, whether it's in the Championship or the Premier League. So for me, I don't feel like we'll see Pierre on a brochure again. Tom? I think we could under like one scenario, and that would be Boca Juniors don't decide to buy him at the end of a loan. We go up, and then you know potentially he's he's more of a long term project if if we do that. Um, but other than other than if that happens, I don't think so. Okay then. Well, let's talk about another departure uh, as well. And it was a big one for Bora as well. £12.5 million for Max Tavernier uh, going to Bournemouth. And then Parker got sacked um, and they're still looking for a, a new manager. Shock. So it be intriguing to see what happens uh, at Bournemouth. You know, I think obviously I think Sean Dyche is the, the favourite at the moment. Um, 
So we'll we'll soon see on on that one. But why do you think Borough let him go, Tom? Because twelve point five million, it feels like you could he could have done one more year. Well, I, I think he's probably been told one more year uh, a couple of times now. Um, and contract was running down. If we're going to cash in for like twelve point five million, it was probably the ideal time to do it. Other than that, you wouldn't want to stand in the players' way. You know, there's the uh, attraction of playing Premier League football for a year, uh, working under Scott Parker for a couple of weeks. Like, you know, <laughs> what else could you want from from a move to the Premier League? <laughs> but. Um, no, I, I think genuinely, like it, it is a chance for him to make that step up. If he believes in himself enough to to play Premier League football uh, and, and wanted the move um, and, and thought it was the best thing, then you know, fair play. Just like I said earlier, it's uh, I wasn't wasn't thrilled with the order of that one either. Really feel like we should have had someone lined up for, as soon as Tav left because I don't think if we'd have said to Tav, you know, we'll do it in a couple of weeks once we have someone lined up to replace you. I still don't think he would have, like, not, like, down tools or anything. You know, I, I think it showed in the the Marseille game how much effort he was putting in. It was a pre-season friendly. Um, I, I feel like it, he would have had the professional attitude to, to really give 100% for that couple of games until he could get that move. Yeah, and, and I must say that he's looked really, really good in the Premier League so far uh, from what I've seen of him as well. So it's even more of a shame, but I think you were saying that Tommy's professionalism, what he was showed, what he kind of showed uh, in, at Borough was that, that legs in midfield, helped us get up the pitch, you know, and then did, did it really show, now that he's left, how much he brought to this side? It did in the Watford game because we lacked yeah. athleticism in midfield, I think. Tab obviously brings that dynamism and between Moore and McGree, I think they could cover some basis of um, what what Tav brings in possession, the creativity, the goal threat, but I don't think you can really replicate what he offered out of possession, which I do feel was underappreciated sometimes. We spoke in defence of him so many times and mentioned his energy and it kind of got a few eye rolls on social media because, you know, what is energy? And you've seen it now, how much it is uh, a part of Chris Wilder's style of play. And I do think we have missed him in certain games and certain moments, but listen, it is what it is. Apparently he wanted to, he wanted to take that opportunity. It's just, again, reiterate a massive shame. It was Bournemouth out of all clubs, but yeah. We are going to miss Tav at certain points. It's always going to be a conversation of him not fully being replaced, but that's what happens when you move on your best player, unfortunately. Yeah, and, and obviously Borough did get some good some good money for him. I mean, it could have been more. I think, I think, in personal opinion, I wish we'd got a little bit more for Spence, uh, for not for Spence, for, 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 for Tav. For Spence um, as well. Like. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, we could have got 50 million for Spence, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, why not? So, just give us all um, the money. Just give us all the money. But we, to be fair, you know, 20 million for, for Spence, 12 uh, million for Tav. You know, Borough got a lot of income in, in this window, especially, um, it's a lot in comparison to what we've had in, over, over the years anyway. I think that must be one of the most we've received in a transfer window since, I think, the first season we got relegated. Um in 2016, 2017, yeah, yeah, I think it was that one, that season, that was 17, 18. Uh, the, Gilles was the, the one yeah. after when we yeah. uh, yeah. sold all the players and replaced them with Savile. 
yeah, that, that's it. That's the that's the one. Yeah, um, but I think Craig Johns alluded to it and said that Bory, you know, they've been operating at quite a high debt over like the last couple of seasons, um, especially because of COVID as well. And do you think we can realistically see Borough spend any of the income we've got from the players in the January window, Dana? I think so, but like we saw with Strand Larson and probably with Jacob Greaves as well, we're not going to pay over what we think are over the odds for players. I think long gone is spending fifteen million on a striker. It's just not going to happen anymore. Borough are trying to be more sustainable and be more smart and savvy with the money that they spend. And if that means spending it on a developmental player like Marcus Force, for example, or Matthew Hoppy, then so be it. But in January, it's going to be an interesting market, isn't it? Because if Borough want that final piece of the jigsaw up front, the striker very unrealistic to expect that to happen to be honest we saw how difficult it was last January but I do feel like we'll spend I do feel like we'll bring in a midfielder if we haven't brought one in on a a free transfer but just because you know and as Craig said just because we've got that money in from Spence and Tav doesn't mean that all of it or even the majority of it is recouped in in all the transfer business so I I wouldn't expect Borough to, to spend big bucks to be honest. Tom? Yeah, I'd absolutely agree with that. To be honest, I I, th- I think it's uh, I, I really in- I really like the uh, the new kind of like smarter uh, transfer strategy that we have, uh, not paying all of the odds, and, and you know, being a lot more um, what's the word for it like frugal with the players that we're we're signing and getting some great deals. Mac Clark for two million is an absolutely outstanding mm-hmm. deal. Um, I, I think we're just going to end, end up spending spending money a lot a lot smarter in, in that respect, um, and and kind of like building up to you know we, we might see like a larger signing again in, in the future for like in my opinion, but I would feel like that would be about five years down the line if we're established in the Premier League and then we're when you're we're, we're doing something similar to what Brentford are doing, letting players go for for larger amounts and and signing you know replacements for for probably smaller amounts but yeah I, I really like what we're doing at the moment I think in terms of like midfield depth obviously we didn't address it but that's a that's another thing that I, I quite liked about the the window it's, we we obviously had our list of targets and I think the striker position probably illustrates this better than midfields but you know, we were priced out of Strand Larson uh, for like unrealistic figures from Gronigan. Uh, Emil Reese, you know, um, un- another unrealistic figure from Preston. And I feel like a few years ago, transfer deadline day would have been uh, a, a day where we would be drawn to to spending more money and, and you know dropping some um, some uh, you know bigger transfer fees on on either of those two players or you know someone completely out of the blue, but. For me, it looks like we exhausted our list of targets and about three positions, and we weren't going to be drawn on just kind of signing anyone. And I think moving forward now, we've obviously got a few months to to really kind of scout those positions more, draw up some new lists ahead of uh, ahead of January, um, and 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 look to to sign players who are more in the mould of what would fit for then. Um, you know, ra- rather than kind of panicking and spending seven million on George Savile like we did a few few years ago, so um, <laughs> so I, I I think it's it's a work in progress. Obviously, I I think you know Johnny, you uh, probably summed it up pre season. I think it was where you said this is going to be like more 
a two-year plan. Um, I, I do think we were aiming best-case scenario to get out of the league this season. But if we don't, then we've got another season to you know spend money wisely, fill in the the positions we need to, need to fill in, and you know build a more complete squad. Um, I think we're kind of well on the way to that. I don't think next year's transfer window, or even January, is going to be anywhere near as big as the one we've just had. I think it's going to be a few players here and there, and ad- addressing the players that we, that we need. But overall, I, I think our transfer strategies change for the better. I fully agree. Uh, I fully agree with the pair of you as well. And in terms of like Borough strategy, the that three-year plan that, that the new that new Middlesbrough, the way of investing in players, not just for short term but long term, and trying to get profit on those is, is a really good way to go. And I think the way that we're trying to operate now is we're bringing in players that fits the style of Middlesbrough Football Club rather than the style that just fits Chris Wilder's style um, and how we want to operate in, in the future. And that in itself is is a big bonus and. Borough fans won't see the benefit of that until maybe until when, when Chris Wilder leaves the club, really. And obviously, that could be he could, he could go to Brighton in a couple of weeks with, you know, with, with Potter going to Chelsea. Um, he could actually go to Chelsea. You never know. Chris Wilder it's gets like every single job. Uh, every single job. I think it's out of order. He hasn't come out and ruled himself out of it yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly it's final order uh, but like look we'll see the benefit of that we'll see the benefit of Borough's strategy not just this year but next year and in, in the year after that and yeah the the signings themselves have been for me have been good and you know we haven't seen the likes of Hoppy yet and and, and more of a force but I feel like we will probably in over the coming weeks and we'll talk about the, the incumbents now because like I mentioned there was 10 there was Liam Roberts Lenahan Giles Stefan Force, Hoppy, Smith, Mowat, Moonis, Matt Clark, around uh, the fall of Borough's business. Um, this could be a really easy question, and the answer might just be yes. Um, but who has impressed <laughs> you both so far? Who has been the most impressive player for you? Uh, or most, most impressive deal? Um, Dana, do you want to go first? I think the most impressive deal is probably... Probably Matt Clark for 2.25 million or whatever it was. But I think the, the signing that's impressed me the most has to be Ryan Charles. Simple, really easy answer. Yeah. His left foot is brilliant. He's, he's an actual threat on that left-hand side. Um, so, yeah, it's it's fairly simple, that one, Ryan Giles. Giles, Tom? Uh, exactly the same. Uh, I, I think Ryan Giles, in terms of actual uh, you know game time, has done the best out of the new signings. And Matt Clark, for me, you know, if, if we'd had dropped out with the Jacob Greaves deal and then it come out the next week that we spent five million on Matt Clark, wouldn't have batted an eye up about it. Like, I, I just would have assumed, yeah, that fair enough. That's probably about what he's worth. To get him a 2.25 million, it's absolute steal. And, you know, it, it's like, um, oh, it, it was the guy, I think it was the uh, the guy off the West Brom podcast on, on our. Um, yeah he he said if we sell uh clark on in a few years he's gonna be absolutely worth um more than that and i'd absolutely agree with that i think he's worth more than that now but again just fits into our our transfer strategy where we can upsell these players in a few years if we choose to and then reinvest that money on, on the path to being a lot more sustainable yeah um i think that the two players that you've mentioned definitely Big, big highlights. You know, we're seeing the benefit of, of Liam Roberts at the moment. Lenahan started relatively okay. I think there's improvement to be made there. And, you know, we, we haven't seen the likes of, of Force much yet or Hoppy or 
I mean, Smith, we haven't really seen much of at all. And, and you know, there is going to be times where they're going to be used. And I think, like, we'll we'll probably look back this win, uh, this window, maybe like January time, we'll go, actually, this was a really, really good summer for us. And hopefully we can see more goals come from Munis and make him hopefully join the permanent because I think he's, he's class. And I just want to say he's the happiest striker I think I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> he was played with a constant smile on his face and I'm absolutely here for it. Um, but in terms of strikers, Tom, you know, Force and Hoppy, four-year deals for the pair of them, 23 and 21 respectively. And is this a case of Borough looking more long-term but more importantly, when do you think we'll see the best out of them? I think it's absolutely Borough looking more long-term. As I just mentioned with Mac Clark there, these will be on four-year deals um, with the view of selling them on, I'm, I'm sure. Um, obviously, if they do really well, we won't want them to go. But, uh, you know, hopefully by a couple of years down the line, their value will have increased. Um, I personally thought we'd have seen Force a little bit more by now, um, just because he, he came with uh, quite talked up by some of the Brentford fans. Um, and, you know, I, I thought we'd have probably seen a lot more than him, but it makes sense why we haven't in the in the current system. But, um, yeah, I'd, I'd maybe say kind of within the next year for Force and maybe within the next two for Hoppy. Maybe I, I haven't seen Hoppy too much to, to be able to kind of comment on that. But he's, um, from all the, all the noises around the club and, you know, what we've read in kind of the uh, the articles from the Gazette and stuff, he has impressed during the the training and the, the under-23s matches he's played. And Wilder said we might have a, a bit of a gem there. He also kind of alluded to the fact that Hoppy might be thrown in uh, at some points this season, but... You know he, he's going to have to adapt to, to the English game, so maybe maybe take a year or two to do that. I think. Okay, then in terms of Borough creating chances and forwards, Dana, you know we, we were joint first for biggest chances creative. We were fourth for expected goals, seventh for biggest chance misses, biggest chance miss. Yeah, yeah, I did say that right? I was, I was like, wait, as my, as my dyslexia brain just went poof, <laughs> uh, just. Um, but are you confident with? the new strike force then do you think it'll help us fire up the table even though we have missed those chances we we are underperforming on, on the goal side of things I wouldn't say confident I'd say more hopeful because we we have brought in developmental strikers that I think they could just as easily be a complete failure as they could be a, a roaring success. It's it's up to themselves, it's up to the teammates, it's up to the coaching staff to make sure that they are a success rather than a failure. And I think the absence of what I've called a main man, maybe I'm getting too stuck to that, but I think it would have been just a little bit safer in the mind to know that you've got somebody that scored 10 plus goals or 15 odd goals in the championship last season that's not to say that Force or Hoppy or Muniz can't. And, and maybe this is a good thing. And we've spoken about this before of unlocking talents before they've reached the level of being a 15-goal-a-season striker. Hopefully we can do that. I'm probably not confident in it because, let's be honest, this is Middlesbrough that we support. I don't think we should ever be confident about a striker <laughs> being a success. Um but yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful. I, I like what Muniz has de- delivered so far, other than that shot against Watford at the halfway line. But he's physically imposing. I think he battled really hard against Sunderland without getting a goal. I thought his performance was good. And I don't think we've seen a lot, an awful lot of, of, of the others. Um, obviously, Force has scored. He's that poacher, isn't he? Hopefully, we can see a lot more of that. The key word is hope and hopefully, because... Um, 
yeah, I, I wouldn't say confident. Okay, well, a toppy for the best then. Um, <laughs> in, terms, <laughs> in terms of best strike force and ultimate question, of course, I've got one more for you. Uh, but what is Borough's best strike force this season or so far? Uh, Tom, what are you going to go for? Who is Borough's best strike force? Well, I don't mind the current one with uh, with McGree playing behind Mooners. I think it it serves a purpose and it's it's worked well while we we have played it. What I'd quite like to see is what more playing alongside Mooners. I think that could potentially work well. Um, also, kind of like a, a a third option, which I, I think you know might might come into play a little bit further on the season is Hoppy and Mooners. Um, just because Hoppy's left-footed, he might add a little bit more balance on that side. But yeah, I'd say McGree and Muniz at the moment. Um, like I say, it, it, it seems to be working well. I wouldn't want to wouldn't change that. Dana? See, I would say Muniz and Force, only because Force is a is a six-yard box striker, isn't he? He'll get on the end of those crosses from Giles, but also I feel like he needs a physical presence to make the ball stick. And what we've seen from Muniz so far is that he can do that. I think he can get himself out of sticky situations where the you know the, a defender's gotten tight to him and he can shift it around, I think. And also he's... Uh, I feel like he's a good finisher as well. Um, the anticipation of the cross against Watford, that Backman wasn't getting to it. He was in the right place at the right time. I feel like they could work well off each other. Force would benefit from having that build-up strike that I think Muniz can be, and also he could be a decent finisher as well, hopefully, again, <laughs> that word. But yeah, I think uh, Force and Muniz I'd like to see more of together. Okay. I'm going to go with Muniz and Akpom. I just feel like it'd be... You know, it'd be a very, very difficult uh, place for a defender, I think, for, for for that 90 minutes. Because I think just like the way that Akpom was playing before he got injured and he was bringing more people into play, Munis, I think he is, you know, he can be a fox in the box. Um, and the majority of his goals at Fulham prove that. So maybe I mean, you might have a bit of a problem in terms of press, but we'll we'll get to that, you know. I see. I think Munis's press it. has been decent so far in terms of his positioning where he is I mentioned earlier that he almost got he almost intercepted a lot of uh, Sunderland's passing just a little bit off on, on on most of them but potential there yeah I was, I was probably more on what Akpom but I mean uh, we'll, we'll yeah, see but... it we'll, we'll probably see it you know, who knows uh, but the final question then and this comes back to the, the our uh, preview show and it was a stick or twist uh, question because we gave our predictions and I said, I'll give you the chance once all the signings are done uh, if you want to stick or twist uh, with your prediction in terms of Boris finish in the, in the table. So, Tom, you said sixth, uh, Danny said fourth, and I said fifth. Um, so, playoffs. Um, <laughs> Tom, stick or twist? Yeah, I want to stick with mine. I think in terms of death, um, we might see it throughout January. I think the important thing to remember is we've got a four-week break for the World Cup as well. Um, so any kind of injuries or tiredness during that time might not have an, as an effect uh, come Christmas as they have in pre- previous seasons. Um, you know, while they had said uh, at the Q&A that they did have a plan for that, that four weeks and... You know, we might have uh, a few players 
hopefully not making too long a run in the uh, the World Cup, especially not uh, not Stefan because they're in England's group. But um, you know they'll, they'll be coming back from from the World Cup and and kind of getting reintegrated. Uh, I think the the next game after the World Cup's looting at home, so it'd be good to. to start on with a win again there so hopefully that won't have too much of an effect around winter time as as we usually see um but i'm, I'm playing it safe uh i, I think okay. and, and sticking with six okay dana are you gonna stick or twist i mean when i said fourth it my mind was was pinging from fourth and fifth and i'm still pinging from fourth to fifth I think because it's such an open championship this season, again, and I don't think there's necessarily a runaway team apart from maybe Sheffield United. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to twist. I'm going to say down one to fifth, but still in the playoffs. Okay. Uh, I'm going to stick with, with fifth. So, guys, thank you very much uh, for joining me, as always, and to the listener and the viewers, thank you very much uh, for watching us. Uh, but that's it. Tease, we are delighting. The transfer window is shut. But a borough finished in the market. After waking up before you go, go, Massimo, the one go. Uh, but this has been the Borough Breakdown podcast. And that was all your Borough Match Day chatter in a pod. Up the Borough Breakdown. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.